This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we begin (coughs) this morning. This is a new sermon series. So let's begin here. There is nothing in this world that is comparable to what we are doing right now. And that's heavy right out of the gate. So just listen to that one more time. There's nothing in the world that is comparable to what we are doing together right now. Christians gathered on the Lord's day, united in the Holy Spirit, worshiping the Lord, hearing the word of God, encouraging one another in faith. This all is closer to a heavenly meeting than something that comes naturally from this world. Listen to Psalm 84 as it describes the gathering that we're in the midst of. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Jumps down a few verses and then says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. The question I want to begin with this morning is, do we think that way about going to church? Or is this something we do on Sundays if we don't have other plans? And I don't ask it that way to lay a guilt trip on you, but I do hope that kind of question makes you think a little bit. It's important for members of the church to think about the church. And from time to time, it's important for the church to gather together and to talk about the church. And that's what we're going to do today and for the next three weeks following. We're going to be the church talking and thinking about about the church, especially the way that the church worships together. We're calling this series The Lord's Day because we want to talk about being biblically faithful with our time on Sunday mornings, which for centuries Christians have called Sunday the Lord's Day. And so if there's no other type of gathering on earth quite like this one, then I would submit to us, and I think it makes sense, that we would want to maximize every moment of our time together for the glory of God. If this is closer to what we do in heaven than what other people do on earth, then let's not waste a single second of our time together, but let's make it the best. Let's use it all to declare the glory of God. So before we talk about a life and rhythm of worship, which is how we're starting things off in this series this morning, 
Just let me uh, practically address a couple of reactions that you might have to hearing that we're going to spend four weeks talking about worship and the worship service in, in the Lord's Day. Now, the first reaction, maybe even hesitation, in that is you think that you just come here, but you're not up front. You're not leading anything, and so this is really maybe a series of sermons for me and, and a few other people at the front, but this doesn't really apply to you. That's hesitation, objection number one. That's not true. Every one of us has a vital role to fulfill when we come together. To sing in the congregation, to agree in prayer, to hear the preaching is not less holy than it is to stand up here and give those things in any way. And this is true for me. Really is. Now, outside of fulfilling my calling to preach and, and taking great joy from following the Lord in that, my favorite part of Sunday morning is not doing this. It's actually to stand with the congregation and to sing. That's what I like most on Sunday mornings. That's what's most precious to me. So my first answer to the objection is we're all called to something important. We all have a role to fill. Some do it from the front, some do it from the congregation, but neither is inherently better than the other or more important. Second piece, talking about the church's worship that we may kind of have a reaction to is to recognize that we all come from different backgrounds, especially when it comes to the church. So many of us, not all of us, there are some in here by the glory of God who haven't, but many of us have been part of multiple churches. So that means we've worshipped with the church in different ways. That's certainly me. Uh, my, per, my church background's really eclectic. Uh, I was baptized as an infant in a Lutheran church, and that's where my primary experience was. My strongest early memories of church were Lutheran. Uh, but when I was little, my parents got divorced, and I spent every other weekend with my dad, who was at that point a very committed Roman Catholic. So I was in Mass twice a month. At some point in my high school years, I started hanging out with a bunch of Christian friends who were part of Baptist churches. So I started going to Baptist church occasionally. I kept that up for a few years in college, but here's, here's college for me. I went to a Lutheran school for undergrad. I joined, while at that Lutheran school, a Baptist church. I went to, on Thursday nights, a charismatic Bible study. In the summers, I worked for a multi-denominational missions organization. After college, I went to a non-denominational seminary. And then my first gig on staff at a church was at the most theologically conservative church in a theologically liberal denomination. Then I was hired by a free church. I was re-baptized following my conversion to Christ with faith in Christ, and I've been here to our Savior for the last 10 plus years. I've been everywhere when it comes to church. So when you talk about background, I just kind of go, yeah, that's my background in churches. I've been everywhere, and here's my point. 
you have a background, I have a background, and we bring quite a bit of memory and expectations to worshiping as a church. And that's not a bad thing. But what we want to do is be intentional, not about asking, what have I experienced? Or what ways am I used to worshiping? But instead, how does God's word instruct and guide the church's worship? And then that will lead us to concluding how our church should worship. And here's what you begin noticing as you kind of scour the New Testament looking for teaching on worship. There's quite a bit about the posture of your heart, and then there's relatively little about form. And the reason for that is simple. Just take uh, 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So in other words, come to a knowledge of the truth, God wants everyone to see the primacy of worshiping him. And because people's traditions are different, language is different, culture is different, God calls for worship not that's rooted in a particular form or within a particular cultural background, but he calls for worship primarily that exalts truth and then builds up believers no matter their background. But the prescriptions for how worship is to be done in the New Testament are really minimal. He's made it accessible for people all over the world to worship him. So you can live in a big modern city and you can biblically worship Jesus or you can live in a very remote mountain village or deep in a jungle tribe and you can worship biblically the Lord. And so we come from traditions and backgrounds and and praise God, praise God for the good ones. But what we wanna make sure we're identifying and separating out is what is truly biblical and what is just our habit or our preference. So to do that, we're gonna start in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Plenty in this one verse for us for our time together. So Hebrews 13, verse 15. Let me read this for us. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So here's my plan. Let's take this one phrase at a time, starting with our worship, rising to God through him, that is Jesus. Second phrase is our worship being continual. And then we'll look at the integration of lips that acknowledge him and life action that worships him. So lips that acknowledge him and a life, an action, a life of service that is worship. So first, number one, worship through Jesus. Second, worship that is continual. Third, worship that comes from our mouths and is carried along by our actions. So the verse begins by saying, through him, but after that, there is a then. It's the same Greek word as therefore. 
So this is an implication or, or, a, or you could say a repercussion of what has been said before it. And immediately before this, verses 13 and 14 say this. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Camps and cities are places where people feel comfortable and safe. There were people go to settle down and, and settle in. But the writer of Hebrews says, if we're going to follow Jesus, you won't be able to do that while you're clinging to the patterns and comforts of this world. Camps and cities are where people live in this world. You can't make both this place and Christ your home if you're going to be a true worshiper of God. So if if your hearts are conflicted between whether you live here or whether you seek a different place of home, it won't work. So Christians know that this world will one day pass away. So we don't seek this city. This camp isn't our home. We seek the city of God. And so the writer now says, therefore, through him we offer up a sacrifice of praise. If if this place isn't our home, but he is our home, then we go through him and we look to him for our pattern, for our habit, for what is worthy and how to praise. So he just said, seeking a city is synonymous with worship. And that's true. You just ask questions like, what are you going to devote yourself to? Where are you going to try to live? Where do you rest? And for Christians, the answer can't be in the world camp, can't be in the world city. It has to be in God. And the only way we can live and rest in God is through Jesus Christ. If we try to come to God any other way, we won't make it. God is so great and his holiness so intense that even the slightest bit of sin can't remain in his presence. And that's a big problem for us because we don't have just a little sin. We're full of it. We are big time sinners. But Jesus was not. He didn't even have a trace of sin in him. And that's how God made the way for us to come to him. By faith in Jesus, we can approach God, not because we're righteous, but because Jesus is. And Hebrews is filled with verses that tell us how this is possible. Chapter 4, verse 14, says that Jesus is our great high priest. Chapter 7, verse 25, says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. Chapter 10, verse 19, says that Jesus offered for all time a single sacrifice that was pleasing to God so that now we can be in God's presence without fear. It's not a coincidence that it's called a sacrifice of praise. For thousands of years, God's people were instructed to sacrifice animals so there would be blood shed in preparation for coming into God's presence. And even then, it could only be done on on special occasions. But now through Jesus, 
We come not just into the presence of God as once before, trembling and timid, but we can come right up to the throne and be sure that he will be delighted to find us there. But that only works if it happens through Jesus. All of our worship must go through him. Because if it doesn't go through him, it doesn't go at all. So next, our worship should be continual. There are three ways I think we can see this word continual applying to worship. Way number one, it's not limited to a few days, special days a year, or one day a week. So we're going to pay attention. I already told you, we're going to pay attention over the next few weeks to Sundays. But that doesn't mean that this day should be any more worshipful than Mondays through Saturdays. And let's just use marriage as an analogy for this. So the weeks fill up, right? They just have a way of filling up. There's always something to do. And even though if you're married, you see your husband, you see your wife every day, you can feel like meaningful time together is pretty rare. And so what do you do? You schedule time. Schedule a date. Doesn't have to be expensive, just intentional time together without laundry piles and dishes. But also, you've got special days. Got an anniversary. Go out, take a little trip, get to a favorite restaurant. And there it's just the two of you. Kind of slow down, focus, rest, reset a little bit. And it makes the weeks in between the dates, it makes the months in between the special events a little less crazy, a little bit more bearable. So dates and anniversaries, they're just a small fraction of the time that you're married. But they can have an enormous impact on the health and the vitality of a marriage. Without them, you tend to get pretty, feel pretty isolated and pretty distant. The same thing is true of Sunday worship. You are not in a worship service about 170 times as much as you're in one. That number's true. You're outside of this place for over 170 hours a week. You're only in here for like a little over an hour. But this time focuses, it resets, it fuels, it has a fueling effect on a life of continual worship. So this time is vitally important to continual worship. So pay attention to special days. Special days are really helpful on the regular ones. Second way that worship is continual is the way we cultivate it naturally pouring from us. Continual worship is worship that just sort of comes out regularly. Whatever you're doing, that's an opportunity to praise God. So many of you pray before meals. Really good. I think you should. Acknowledge that God has given you your daily bread. So three times a day, reset in prayer. But maybe your prayers get a little stale around the meal. 
Think about that, because you do it three times a day. Think about how you could enliven your prayers, continually praying to God. When you're telling a, a coworker about something good that has happened to you, give glory to God, continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. If you have a few minutes between assignments at work, take time to read a psalm and use it to guide a little time of worship. I know many of you struggle with a regular time in Bible reading and prayer. Make a habit of that, not only once a day, but consider spreading it throughout the day. Instead of trying to get maybe a half an hour in, if that's tough for you in the morning or the evening, try to get five, ten minutes in a few times throughout the day. So make praise something that's sort of pouring from you naturally all day long. And the last way that praise is continual is praise comes whether the times are good or bad. John Piper says that there aren't praise God times and then criticize God times. It's always a praise God time. Doesn't mean our worship always looks the same. Sometimes we'll have great joy in God and sometimes there'll be great sorrow. But even our sorrow is in God. Job, who suffered much in the Old Testament, said, The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So our worship is continual in that it's every day. And there are some days that are highlights of every day. It kind of comes out of our mouths and from within us throughout each day, various points. And even in the difficult times, we bring our difficulty to God. Third category, third phrase here, worship that's from the lips and carried on by actions. A sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now we need both. Worship is, one, what we say or, or what we sing, and it's also what we do or how we live. James 1 says that we must hear the word of God and do the work of God. And the clearest example of, of what it means to do the work of God based on Hebrews 13 comes in the very next verse after we read in verse 15. So look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So doing good is equated to generosity, which makes sense when it, when it comes to worship, because people whose priority is worship will value heavenly treasure much more than what they can accumulate here. Remember we said that in order to rightly praise God, we're going to, be have, to, we're going to have to be willing to, to leave the camp or, or seek a better city. You see that in generosity. Inside the safety of the camp, within the city, that's where things of worldly value are kept. Banks are in cities. They're not outside. 
But when you worship God, you're free to let what's valuable here go because you're actually seeking something better. This is actually the greatest sense in which true worship comes through Christ. One more place from Hebrews earlier in chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to this. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So praising God with lips and pleasing God with actions isn't only something that we do. It's something that Jesus did. Here the writer is taking those words, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And he's applying them to Jesus. He's saying these words are true of Christ. He's saying he's the founder of salvation and through his death on the cross, that makes us brothers and sisters. And now what Jesus does After founding our salvation, after making us brothers and sisters, now he goes before us in worship. This is part of his intercession. It's part of his being our our great high priest. It's how we can stand in the presence of God without fear because we follow Jesus in to God's presence. We follow him in worship. While we stand here and sing praise to God... Jesus is in heaven singing a song of his own. And to God, our song sounds like his song. And he sings continually about how he perfectly obeyed the Father, how he was obedient unto death, how in his righteousness he defeated death, how he has made a way into heaven for all that God chooses to redeem and how one day he will return and make all things new. That's the song that he sings. And so when we sing here, we join. He's not joining us. We're joining him. We join Jesus who sings there. So he is our worship leader in every sense of the word. The world was created through him. We're chosen in him. Saved by him. And he stands in our midst so that when we sing our songs, they sound sweet to God. Jesus is the sacrifice of praise. So the first thing, really the only thing, that should truly categorize our worship is to declare that our worship is in, through, and of Christ. We can talk about form, style. We can talk about elements. Can be when, there can be a where. Content, that's all up for some debate. 
There are things we can do and things that we wouldn't do that would be helpful or not helpful. But it's all worthless if our worship does not come in and through Christ. So whether it's a special day or Wednesday, whether we're together here or we're apart, let's have the name of Jesus on our lips. And then let's do a generous work that's pleasing to God. For Jesus is our sacrifice of praise. Let's pray together. God in heaven, may you receive our praise because we come in the name and under the cross of the one who is the true sacrifice of praise. He goes before us, in front of us, and leads us in worship. Nobody worships you like he does. But as we worship, we have confidence. We're given the gift of knowing that you receive our worship as though it comes from him, because it comes through him. And so I pray that we would be a worshiping body, that it would be a great encouragement to be here together, a highlight, high point of the week, and that our praise here would fuel worship continually through each day. For we bring it all in the name of Christ Jesus, who died and rose again. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.